0: guest to Faith Lutheran Church this morning, I want to say welcome in Christ's name. Uh, My name is Brian and I'm the pastor here at Faith. And if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to the book of Jonah. And uh, Jonah of course is in the Old Testament. And if you can't find Jonah right away, it's very obviously between the book of Obadiah and Micah, right? That should be very helpful for most of you, right? Uh, Jonah was a minor prophet known as a minor prophet and uh, in fact if any of you could have just pulled up Jonah like that this morning I probably would have offered to buy a lunch because it's it's just a very short uh, Book in the Old Testament. It's buried deep um, And so if you need to use the table of contents um, or better yet I see many of you have out your phones or your tablets. That's usually the quickest way to get there no shame in all that um, you know, as I, when I said Jonah this morning, um, some of you uh, might immediately had flashbacks uh, to when you were children, maybe even vacation Bible school or Sunday school and flannel boards and all that good stuff. And you thought, oh, Jonah. That's the tale of a whale, right? And you thought to yourself, oh, that's that great fish story uh, from the Old Testament, right? And, and that's where some of your heads went, and you got kind of excited. Oh, we're gonna talk about uh, that fish story. But some of you, when I said the word Jonah, your immediate reaction was, ah. No, I don't know if that's a tale of a whale. I think that's more of a whale of a tale, right? Because, come on, let's, let's be honest, this is kind of a fishy story, right? I mean, it's, it's filled with, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that reaction. I mean, it, 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 it is, it's, it's kind of a stretch, right? I mean, if we're going to be honest, it's a bit of a stretch to kind of believe that this really happened, right? That this, um, uh, this guy, uh, one of God's prophets, uh, miraculously gets swallowed uh, by this big fish. It doesn't say whale anywhere. It was a, a big fish, right? But we just call it a whale because that's what we think of when we think of a, a big fish. And and somehow, miraculously, uh, Jonah the prophet lives in the belly of a fish for three days. Come on. And somehow, miraculously, uh, after three days, uh, spoiler alert, if you don't want to know how the story ends, plug your ears. Jonah gets spit up on land, right? And he survives to tell the story. And he says, oh, what an incredible story. Let me tell you about this story. I mean, come on, it is a bit. And we all struggle. if that's where you're at this morning, I get it. I understand because it is a bit of a stretch. And it's hard for us to get our heads around all the miracles that are going on in this story. But I want to remind you. But over and over throughout Scripture, we read about God's miracle. In fact, the Scripture begins with God creating the world out of nothing. God simply spoke, right? In the very first part of Genesis, we we, we read about this miracle. And a miracle, by definition, does not explain to us how it happened. And so we read the story of Genesis and the creation account. And we read about who did it. And what God did But it really doesn't tell us how other than God spoke and, uh, and it came into creation And that's kind of a miracle, right? And scripture is filled with lots and lots of miracles Abraham and Sarah had a baby at 100, right? Moses parted the Red Sea That little shepherd boy, David, fighting a nine-foot giant, there's a miracle, right? And then he just, he whooped him, right? Then remember the, the miracle of Elijah calling down fire on an altar that was soaking wet. Over and over throughout scripture, we read about God's miracles. And Then, of course, the birth of Jesus, Christmas, right? Miracle born of a virgin right miracle but then one of the first things jesus does when he comes on the earth is he turns water to wine another miracle he heals blind people he heals sick people he walks on water i mean everything jesus did just miracle after miracle after miracle And so if you're here this morning a little skeptical about yet another miracle, I want to remind you that as a Jesus follower, you are invited to believe in the greatest miracle ever. On one day, Jesus stood before his friends and said, Hey, guys, guess what? I'm going to die. I'm going to be dead for three days and several. And after those three days, I'm going to come back to life. It is the greatest miracle that anybody has ever seen. And then Jesus presented himself. Scripture tells us more than 500 people witnessed the resurrection. So if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead as a miracle from God, then the story of Jonah, I want you to not get too, stuck this morning right yes it's a little bit of a fishy tale but there's so much in this and I think that uh, what Jesus uh, what God is saying to us through this story uh, just really has lots to say to us today so let us pray God we thank you as we gather together as your people we thank you Lord for the ways in which you speak to us uh, through remarkable And uh, I'll just say it, uh, disobedient people uh, like Jonah, people who are so broken, people who God just ran the other way. And so uh, speak to us this morning, God. Say something new. Uh, Help us to be encouraged. Help us to be challenged. Help us to be renewed and transformed uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, did I give you enough time to find the book of Jonah? All right, I like to give you guys a little bit of time to find Jonah. We're going to go through each week, we're going to spend four weeks in the book of Jonah. There's four chapters, so we're going to go uh, week by week. Uh, This week we're going to hit Jonah 1, next week Jonah 2, Jonah 3, Jonah 4. So for four weeks, line by line, we're just going to kind of unpack and peel back some layers uh, of this story uh, of what God might have to say to us. Jonah one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now if you think the story of Jonah is kind of a fishy story, the original hearers of this story, they were in shock. The very first lines coming out of this story, they were like, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable, this story. And they start to lean in, and they're thinking to themselves, how could this even happen? The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, go to the great city of Nineveh. See, Jonah was a Hebrew prophet. And Hebrew prophets spoke to Hebrew people. Hebrew prophets, up until this point in time in history, did not speak to Gentiles, non-Hebrews. And so the very fact that God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go over there and speak to those people, they would have been like, that's not what prophets do. That is not what Hebrew prophets do. This is a really interesting story. I'm not sure if I believe this story. But it's not just that the Hebrew prophet was going to speak to any old group of Gentiles or non-Hebrew people. This was to go speak to the Ninevites. And all of us who are here, sitting here today, are like, yeah, so what, right? Nineveh is a town of a city about the size of Bloomington Normal, right? And it's in northern Iraq today. It's kind of on the border where Iraq and Syria and Turkey all kind of come together. And Nineveh in those days was the capital of the Assyrian nation, And those of us, again, we're sitting here going, Assyria, so what? But in ancient times, Assyria was one of the most brutal, awful nations ever. I mean, long before people in that part of the world were gassing their own people, the Assyrians were known for their brutality and how they tortured uh, people. They were awful. They were horrible. And so they would come into a nation. They would conquer a land. They would gather up all the survivors after the war. They would cut off their legs and as they watched them bleed to death, then they would cut off another arm as they continued to bleed more. And they left one arm on so that they could shake their hand and mock them as they died and bled out. How is that for grotesque and brutal, right? I mean, they were awful people. and Oftentimes, what they, would, they would come in, they would chop off the heads of those that they had conquered, and then they would invite the children uh, to put their parents' heads on a pole, and they would parade their parents' head around, and they made the kids carry their de- parents' decapitated heads. These, this is the Assyrian people. This is what they did. And God said, I want you to go to those people. The Assyrians were horrible people. They burned adolescents alive. Now, many of us have thought about doing this, right? (laughs) But we've never actually done it. They did it. I mean, they were horrible. And if you survived an Assyrian invasion and you were not killed, you put up with the most grotesque, horrible kind of slavery anyone could imagine. And so think about this as God is saying to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to them. Those people that you cannot imagine that are any further from God. Those people that you cannot imagine are any more evil. Can we just say that right? So I want to ask you, me, all of us this morning, who are those people in your minds that are so far from God that are irredeemable? Who are those people? Those might just be the people God is calling you, calling us to go to. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, Nineveh was east, Jonah went west. He went to Joppa which is a coastal town uh, if you were to go to Israel today he went the opposite direction right and why did Jonah do this I'm sure in Jonah's mind he was thinking well God doesn't know what he's what he's saying why in the world would I go east to those evil Assyrian people no way God doesn't always talking about and Jonah doubts God's justice God's goodness God's love and he thinks you know God you're, you're crazy I'm not going there I don't like those people and I'm not sure that you even know what you're talking about so he goes the opposite direction and how many times in our own lives do we doubt God's goodness God's faithfulness God's justice and we maybe have an urge, a nudge inside of us where God is saying, hey, I want you to go here. And you're like, no, God, I don't think you really know what you're talking about. I don't think you really know what you're doing. We, we, we question God. God, really? I'm not sure you know what you're talking about, right? I mean, we get a diagnosis at the doctor's office. Really, God? Are you kidding me? I, 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 are you really good? You know, where we've got a relationship that just, you know, was supposed to be the perfect relationship, and it blew up, and we think to ourselves, really, God? Come on. Do you know what you're doing, God? You know, or, or we, we trudge through a meaningless job day in and day out, and we ask ourselves uh, and cry out to God, God, I don't think you know what you're doing, because look at this. I've been showing up at this job, and it's pretty awful. It's pretty meaningless, and it's, it's just not working for me. God, are you sure you know what you're doing? And that's exactly what Jonah's doing. He's questioning who God is and God's, uh, very, uh, um, uh, God's very identity as, as loving and good and faithful. And like Jonah, we ask that question, does God really know what's best for my life or do I? Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Now, the results of Jonah's disobedience, are immediate gets out on the water, and a storm arises. And this is a great theme throughout Scripture, but we, we know this in our own lives. Whenever we disobey God, there will be a storm, right? There will be a storm when we disobey God. That, that's, that, that's the consequence of sin, that there will be storms. And sometimes our sin results consequences of storms going all around us. And there are storms. And other times, of course, we live in a broken, sinful world, and we just experience the storms of life, not necessarily because of the sin that we committed or that we were a part of, but just that we live in a broken, sinful world. There, is all, there are always storms in the midst of disobedience to God, and it began in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve said, really, God, we're not sure you know what you're doing. We're just going to take a bite out of this piece of fruit. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish now the this, this story takes this incredibly sharp right turn into just irony upon irony and the first ironic part of the story the shift here is the sailors the professional guys who live on the seas and the oceans and they're used to all the torrents and the storms and the calamities that are going on in the sea and they're the ones who are afraid right they're like ah they're freaking out And the guy who lives on land, who maybe has never been on a ship before, he's laying down low, sawing logs, fast asleep. I mean, the irony in this story is so rich. But it's not just that the storm and and all that's going on, the sailors are freaking out, but it's who's responsible for the storm. Jonah was responsible for the storm. And what's Jonah doing? He's sleeping. He's completely oblivious uh, to the ways in which his sin had borne out consequences for others around. And how many of you know that sometimes somebody else will sin and you bear the consequence? Anybody know that? If you're a parent, you know that. Amen? Amen? Aaron, that's for you. Consequences are coming. Your baby will sin and you will bear the consequence. All of us who are parents, we know this, right? Sometimes other people, when they sin, we bear the consequences of that. And parents know this very, very well. But this is just part of life. But it's so ironic, isn't it? That Jonah is the one who sinned. Jonah is the one who calmed the storm. And Jonah's off in the corner, sleeping, completely oblivious to what's going on. Now, the third ironic twist in this piece, in this story that I want to lift up to you this morning is that remember Jonah, the Hebrew prophet. He was called to go to the pagan people to tell them about God. But in that moment, the pagan sailors on this ship, they shake Jonah and say, Jonah, talk to your God. Isn't that interesting? God is using these pagan sailors to point Jonah to his own God. Which is very ironic, which also ought to teach us that sometimes God will use other people outside of a church service, people who are not even following Jesus, in order to bring you back to God and point you to God. See, God will use about any method necessary to get your attention, to shake you and say, I'm right here. I'm with you, and I love you, and I'm all around you. I love the ironic twist that God uses these pagan sailors to wake Jonah up. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. So things are falling apart. And these pagan sailors look at Jonah and say, Who are you? What in the world have you done to offend the gods? They ask him questions of identity. Who are you? Where are you from? Who do you serve? Because this idea, they understood that when you understand someone's identity, it helps you to look deep into their heart and what motivates them. Where is their allegiance? What is ultimately important to them? So they look at Jonah and say, who are you? What is it? Who, who are you? And Jonah, he gets the wrong answer, ah, right? He says, I'm a Hebrew, which that he first has, has the first words out of his mouth. This is declaration of his ethnic identity. And then later on, you know, he says, oh, and by the way, I worship God, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a God follower. Yeah. Oh, Jonah, wrong order. And I see this so often times, even in the church, among well-meaning Christians. We have all these identities in our lives. And we get them out of order. And We say, I'm this, I'm that, and somewhere down the line, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a Christian. And so, uh, Emerson, can you put up there? Uh, this, this is something I made up. I don't know if this is going to work for you or not. Uh, can you throw up the pizza for me? There we go. And so as you look at this, you know, multifaceted uh, pizza with all sorts of different things, I was thinking this week, this works for me, this maybe doesn't work for you at all, I don't know. But this is kind of what Joan is doing, and this is what I see a lot of Christians doing today. So um, I'm... uh I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a musician, I'm an athlete. And we can go all around uh, the slices of pizza where all these different things. I'm part of this political party, I work you know, in, an, in the insurance industry, and um, you know, I do this and I do this. And, and so it's, it's all these different pieces. And one of the slices of pizza is I'm a Jesus follower, right? So this is what I would call pizza identity, and I see this so much, you guys, and it just absolutely breaks my heart. This is what I would call situational identity, and it's gonna depend on where you're at, what the circumstances, what's going on in your life, and someone comes to you and says, who are you? And you're like, I'm a this, I'm a that. I watch this 24-hour news station, right? And, And you can kind of go right around the pizza. Whatever's going on in that moment, And that becomes our identity based on the situation at hand and that's what Jonah did he said I'm a Hebrew this is my ethnicity it's like us saying I'm an American and by the way I'm a Christian right in that order right you know people who say things like that let's put the other image that I think what God really is calling us to and this is what I would call a bicycle bicycle tire identity and in the middle is the hub in the middle is where Jesus belongs and so as you look at all the spokes and all those other the way things life is chunked out and again you could fill all the same categories but Jesus is still in the middle and this is not situational as it relates to your identity So whether you're a banker, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a mom, you know whether you're this political party, that political party, whatever you are, at the end of the day, Jesus is still at the hub. He is central to who you are. And it does not matter because all those spokes touch the middle. And it's not situational that Jesus is always in the middle. And so when I ask you this morning... Who are you? What's your identity? What is your ultimate allegiance to? Who is your ultimate allegiance to? So the story of Jonah continues. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah replied, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will be calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you." Jonas. starting to take some ownership, right? Starting to take some ownership and saying, hey, you know what, I, I, this is my fault. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Isn't this what we do? Things get out of hand. Maybe we even acknowledge our own sin, our own brokenness, but we paddle harder. We try and fix it ourselves. We work harder. And the more things are getting more out of control, we just try and fix it. But it says, but the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, and I love this—that the, they, being the pagan sailors, crying out to Jonah's God, um, "Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have been have done as you have pleased." Now the sailors, the pagan sailors, are so desperate. That they are crying out. Before they were crying out, remember, to their own gods. Now they're crying out to Jonah's God. And there's something about desperation in our lives that leads us to that place of crying out to God. I mean, there truly are no atheists in foxholes, right? And so I I don't know. I mean, how desperate are you? How desperate do you need to become before you cry out to God and say, God, I quit, I surrender? Or are you still paddling, right? Like the verses before. Because our human inclination, our human instinct is to keep paddling to get back to shore. But the storms get rougher and rougher. And at some point in time, the sailors are just like, God, rescue us, save us, help us. I love that even the pagans... I mean, Jonah hasn't even preached a sermon yet, and he's already a boat full of converts uh, to following God. Man, I I, I just love this story. (laughs) Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard in the raging sea. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Don't miss this. 700 years before Jesus walked on the earth, God used one of God's people, a prophet, a man by the name of Jonah, threw him into the sea so that others could be rescued. This is a foreshadowing. Of Jesus Christ coming into the world. 700 years before Jesus came on the earth. God is already telling the story. Of using one man's life. To rescue another group of people's lives. That's extraordinary. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The foreshadowing continues, right? The story of Jonah is about a man descending. If you go back through chapter one, it says Jonah went down to Joppa. And once Jonah was in Joppa, that port city, he went down onto a boat. And then once he was on the boat, he went further down lower into the boat to take a nap. Remember? And at this point in time, Jonah gets thrown overboard and he's going lower and lower and lower into the depths of the sea. And this is the the, the direction of this story, a man descending. And I think about how this story and a man descending and how the fish shows up and rescues him. Fish shows up as he's going down, down, down. In 2008, uh, J.K. Rowling, uh, the the woman who uh, wrote the Harry Potter series, uh, she stood before the graduating class of Harvard University. And she was the commencement speaker and she wanted to remind them about her own life in a time when her life when she was descending, when she was going down. And in that commencement speech she said this, I had failed on an epic scale, an exceptionally short-lived marriage had imploded, I was jobless, a lone parent, and as poor as it is possible to be in modern Britain without being homeless. So I began to direct all my energy into to finish the only work that mattered to me. Had I really succeeded at anything, I might never have found the determination to succeed in the one area, writing, in which I truly belonged. In other words, J.K. Rowling's failure, her descent down, ultimately led to extraordinary success. And this is the story that we read about, the story of descending over and over and over of God's people throughout Scripture. People who experienced extraordinary failure over and over and over, until they had gotten to the bottom, until they could get no lower, and they cried out to God and said, God, I've had it. I can't do it anymore. Rescue me. Rescue me. And each and every story as you read, Old Testament, New Testament reminds us that this is who God is. He comes to people who are descending, who are going down, people who are failing, people who are crashing. And when they hit the bottom, and oftentimes we're like, well, that person just hasn't hit the bottom yet, right? But when they finally hit that place, they become so desperate that they're like, God, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. The old saying... I think is really true as it relates to Jesus you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have when you are at the end of your rope that's when you're like yep rescue me and it's at that point that the big fish shows up and rescues Jonah Hundreds of years later, Jesus would uh, say this, as recorded in Matthew 10. If you want to gain your life, you must lose it. If you want to live, you need to first die. And that's the story of Jonah. That was, of course, the story of Jesus. And that's the story for you and me. In order for us to truly live and experience abundant and eternal life, we have to die to ourselves. And so this morning, I want to invite all of us again to descend as God has invited us to. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God who meets us at every season of our lives. The Lord, you use other people, even people far from you, to point us back to you. Because God, you are so desperately in love with us and you invite us to become desperate and cry out to you. Lord, wherever we're at this morning, each one of us in our descent, we pray that it would just be the bottom. Each and every day, God, that we would just start out surrendering, saying, God, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. And in this descent, this failure, God, just help us to surrender each and every day being reminded that you are our savior, you are the one who rescues us, and things can't get any worse. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.